welcome everyone. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Depends on where you are. Uh, welcome to our third webinar uh, in a series of webinars on uh, uh, cultural pr preservation, uh, uh, preservation of political heritage and culture uh, in Palestine uh, and among the Palestinians. Uh, we had uh, two webinars, one on uh, 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 preserving the audiovisual heritage of the Palestinians, uh, the second one on museums, and this, this event is on two archival initiatives uh, out of money, uh, and we have uh, distinguished uh, guest speakers today. Uh, Professor Kalman Nabulsi from uh, Oxford University and Professor Abderazak Takriti from Houston University. Uh, both are uh, co-authors and uh, curators of the Palestinian Revolution website. Uh, it's a bilingual uh, a website that provides uh, a, a historical uh, survey and uh, of Palestinian uh, political practice and thought from the Nakba until the, the siege of Beirut from 1948 until 1882. They will have uh, about 25 minutes uh, to 30 minutes uh, to present their, uh, their called Mapping uh, Memories of Resistance. And we have uh, our uh, guest today is Mona Dejani, Dr. Mona Dejani, who will uh, present the project. She initiated this, uh, th this work. Uh, and it's a, it's a cooperation, co collab collaborative project between LSE and Birzeit University. In my capacity as a researcher at the Institute for Palestine Studies, I'll be moderating this event, but I'm also partner with uh, Mona Dejani on the, uh, on the Golan project. So I'll have some, some thoughts uh, uh, to share with you on, on that, uh, in addition to my, the moderation of this uh, event. Um, uh, after our speakers present their work, we will have a discussion. We'll, we will uh, we'll collect uh, questions from the audience and we will have, uh, we'll open the discussion for uh, everyone. So uh, now without uh, uh, further ado, uh, I'll, I'll give the word to uh, Professor Carmen Nabulsi and uh, then Professor Abderazak Tekriti. Uh, please, it's your Thank you, Monia. Thank you, Munir, and You're thank welcome. you to the yeah, and thank you to the institute, and thank you to Laura, and thank you for Mona for uh, running doing this seminar with us. It's such a lovely idea, and uh, really looking forward to the questions. I'm just going to introduce uh, our research program and going to hand it over to Abdelazak, who's going to take us through it a little bit. It's. Uh, a labor of some pedagogy, I wouldn't say of love, but of course there was a lot of love in it, but there was a lot of hard work over many, many years to 
uh, get there. So I would encourage everyone to, to look at the website and take their time to look at the two sections of it, which uh, Abed will cover, but also the About Us, which I'm just going to introduce because uh, as with this uh, experience uh, and this history and its task, uh, this research uh, and this resources, it relies on uh, a context which was internationalist and we relied on a number of institutions uh, in uh, really following uh, different continents and involving them different uh, institutions of research, museums, along with a host of scholars and uh, protagonists of the Palestinian Revolution who were really extraordinary in uh, uh, their contributions and designed their own participation. And I hope, Abed, if we can look at the caters as well, because that's another section we didn't even talk about covering today. But I leave it up to you for whatever 15, 20 minutes, and I hand over. Uh, Abed was working on this with me when he was finishing his doctorate at Oxford, and he stayed on. We were very lucky to keep him for a little bit as a research fellow and uh, carried out the interviews, carried out many of the design of this intellectual design and arg uh, arguments within it. And we co-wrote this together, co-curated even, I think besides co-edited. So there's no one better really to take us through this magnificent collective work, Abbott. Yeah, thank you, Karma, and uh, thank you, Munir, thank you, Muna. Um, it's good to start with the uh, purposes that uh, underlie this project. Uh, and I think uh, initially, um, when uh, Karma and I were thinking about doing something along these lines, we were not thinking of creating an archive. Uh, we were thinking of uh, developing uh, a set of resources uh, to address uh, challenges that were faced by educators who are trying to understand modern Palestinian history. There's a set of uh, parameters uh, that uh, uh, prevented uh, people from uh, approaching this history uh, in an open way, um, particularly when it came to the question of the Palestinian revolution. Um, the very term revolution uh, was difficult to use in uh, the Western Academy at the time when we started uh, talking about the subject. And certainly in the Palestinian and Arab Academy, it was also largely avoided. Um, in many Arab countries, uh, there was a history of a contradiction between uh, the Palestinian uh, struggle and its structures uh, and uh, the existing states and regimes, which meant that it's difficult to talk of uh, the revolutionary aspects of that struggle. Uh, you can talk about the Palestinian cause, al-Qadiyya al-Palestinia, in the abstract, but to talk of the uh, uh, attempt of its people to organize, mobilize, and uh, develop uh, their own independent uh, vision and uh, structures uh, around organization and mobilization uh, was very, very uh, highly suppressed in those settings, to say the least. Um, and that had to do with regime legitimation 
purposes as well as the complex histories in each individual uh, Arab country. Uh, in the Western Academy, we have the struggle confronting all anti-colonial movements uh, because anti-colonialism was historically criminalized. Um, and uh, in this regard, actually, for the theory of it, I would highly recommend that you check uh, Kerma's beautiful book on traditions of war, uh, which is really about how different visions of war started uh, in the uh, um, in the 18th and 19th centuries, um, and how we have the whole uh, intellectual order of viewing uh, different struggles, um, you know, developing in a way that is uh, not friendly, to say the least, uh, to people trying to gain their freedom, uh, especially within the imperial context. The, the dominant ways of approaching these struggles um, is a, a way that attempts to marginalize them. Uh, the dominant theories are ones that favor uh, imperial armies uh, and colonial uh, countries. Um, so Palestine was not an exception to that, like the South Africans and like the Algerians and like many other oppressed peoples, uh, we were confronted with a task, very difficult task of explaining what does it mean to be uh, engaged in a revolution for freedom um, in a, a Western atmosphere that was very much complicit in shackling our people and in colonizing them. Um, so how to approach this in a way that dealt with the severe repression of Palestinian history and memory in both the Arab settings and in the Western settings. Uh, and to deal with the, uh, also uh, the erasure of the memories of uh, the Bandung tradition and the tricontinental tradition of which the Palestinian revolution was a part because there's also that whole tricontinental world of Africa, Asia, and Latin America um, in which there was a very strong affiliation with the Palestinian struggle, of course, historically. Uh, but as the historical distance uh, grows, uh, something in the collective memory uh, is retained, but it's, uh, uh, it's not manifest. Uh, it's more latent. So how to awaken that, how to recall that, how to retrieve that was a big challenge as well. And when we started the project, we wanted to actually think of it in a global context, which is why we worked very closely. And maybe Karma can uh, uh, say uh, a word about that later on. Um, with sister projects that tried to address these questions in places like uh, South Africa and Cuba, um, you know, they had different ways of doing it. Um, but for Palestine, we felt that we needed to rely very much on uh, online technologies because of the dispersal of our people, uh, because of the fact that we are refugee people that is still not able to go back to its homeland, uh, because our uh, young people um, have a right to access their history no matter where they live. Um, and uh, we had to be very attentive to the need to provide a platform that is very accessible to people regardless of where they live, but also that reflects uh, their 
different subjective realities because that's an, uh, another added layer of complexity to the Palestinian uh, cause. Anybody who's done research on this, and certainly Karma, um, uh, had, had taught me this back in the days when uh, um, you know, I was uh, a student, is that when you're dealing with uh, something like the Palestinian uh, people, the, frag the political fragmentation can sometimes reflect itself in the fragmentation of historical memory. So um, I learned a lot from her about the struggle against fragmentation. And this was an enormous aspect of this website, that we have to try to find a way to tell the story, not from the prism just of the Palestinians in Lebanon, or the Palestinians in Jordan, or the Palestinians in Syria, and certainly not just from the store, uh, from the prism of the Palestinians in the uh, 48 or the occupied territories. It, it has to be uh, uh, a story that's told on multiple layers, multiple levels, and that reflects these complex realities. Because depending on where you grew up, you might know a lot about what went on in your area. But there's a good chance that you'll forget about what was happening in Lebanon or and we saw this as we were doing our research, because when you look at anti-colonial movements, uh, they're usually clandestine. People sometimes don't even know the names of their um, comrades in struggle, uh, let alone their backgrounds. Uh, there's a lot of work that was happening in different parts of the world uh, that people were not aware of in other parts of the world. And certainly uh, what's, really fascinating about something like the Palestinian struggle was how international uh, and how uh, widespread it was across the global map. Um, this is another dimension that we tried to cover here. Uh, we wanted to uh, really account for uh, the uh, different solidarities and uh, global interconnections, but also uh, the different ways in which Palestinian communities coordinated with each other and Palestinian cadres coordinated with each other across uh, the global map. So, so we had uh, different uh, layers that we tried to account for as we were telling uh, that story. Now, another dimension that we were trying to think of here, and really, uh, uh, again, like, um, and I'm sure uh, uh, we can talk more about it if we have some questions and answers. Uh, but one of the things that we had to deal with was the very uh, methodology around the notion of an archive. Uh, in many ways, that's an imperial notion. That's an established state notion. Um, it's really, uh, archives play a bureaucratic function, generally speaking. They come out of stability. They come out of stillness. Um, when uh, the uh, Rankian tradition in history, methodologically, you know, von Ranke started the kind of very high positivist empiricist way to approach history. He started from uh, the Vatican archives, for example. That's a place that's been around for hundreds of years. It's very steady, it's very stable, it's highly protected. And that means that there is an accumulation of material there. And you look at the British 
imperial archives or the French archives. These are very stable states that have not had their sovereignty violated, even when they were invaded temporarily, you know, in the case of the Second World War in France. It was very temporary. A lot of the documents survived. The bureaucratic tradition around them survived. But we don't have that. We're a colonized people. We're revolutionary people. And revolutionary peoples tend to destroy documents. They don't tend to preserve them because they're always running away from regimes. They're always uh, subjected to warfare. They're, and a the classic example is the assault on the, for example, the Palestine Research, Research Center in Beirut. Uh, um, we're also a people that uh, passed through a phase in the 1990s and the 2000s. And in a sense, this was a context out of which our project emerged. We passed through a phase when we were pretending that we're not a revolutionary people and that we're, we're engaged in a state building project. So there was this whole fantasy going on of let's institution, let's archive, let's create all these very still institutions that are connected to uh, actually stable statehood uh, in a context when actually what we needed was the complete opposite. We needed fluidity. Uh, we needed uh, uh, accessibility in a different way. Yeah. And accessibility was key, therefore, to the methodology that, uh, that we developed, which is really, in, in that sense, an anti-archival methodology. You didn't have to register here to come to this archive. You didn't have to go to a physical building. Uh, it's not really an archive. It's a, we thought of it more as a curated collection because we wanted to emphasize, by the way, we could have easily digitized all the stuff out there and just put it out. But then how does that serve the pedagogical purpose? What was more interesting for us was to tell a story of a very, very big history that is impossible to actually reduce to an archive and to show through using a limited range of materials. You know, we have a lot of materials in the website. It's like, you know, in the thousands, the amount of, if you count interviews and documents and website, you know, all the translations and all the, there's a lot. It's a huge amount. But actually, what we were trying to say is, no matter how much you put, you're not telling the story. What is more interesting is to feel it, sense it, and how are we going to go through that uh, journey of uh, sensing it and sampling it in, in, that, in that way. Um, so that was the pedagogical concern here. Uh, and it was to open up the spaces for further research through giving a people a sense of uh, what beautiful treasures are out there in this, uh, when it comes to this subject. So, you know, we did a lot of interviews, a lot. And if you, if you look at the um, section, I don't know, Laura, if you can share the screen for the website, is that, is that possible? Yeah, give me a minute. Yeah, so now as you'll see, like when, when once the screen is, is shared, we uh, developed three different layers for telling 
the story. One was a curricular uh, uh, exercise, which is teach the revolution. If you press on that, uh, Laura, that would be great. Yeah. And here, um, the teach the revolution, uh, the idea behind it was to offer people, educators, particularly at the university level, uh, both undergraduate and graduate, because people can select the, how much difficulty and how much material they want to uh, use in this. Um, but we wanted to afford them the opportunity to hear the story of the revolution through its own documents. Um, which is a different exercise in the traditional, um, you know, way of teaching, which is let's assign the uh, secondary books on the subject, for example. Um, there are, of course, secondary books on the subject, but uh, they generally uh, treat it in, uh, in ways that reflect the particular moments they were written in, in ways that reflect particular visions and methodologies. But what the students desperately lacked was the ability to actually hear the voices from that period, read the writings from that period. And we tried in this curriculum to provide 12 weeks uh, that are thematically organized. And you can see the themes on the uh, right of the screen. Uh, each week handling uh, a particular theme through the documents of their revolution. Um, of course, Carmen and I wrote uh, essays for each week uh, that brought together the documents, contextualized them, uh, gave people a sense uh, of the world out of which uh, they came. Uh, but the documents, each document was used to uh, illustrate uh, a certain theme. Um, now, we had to be very attentive uh, to uh, including all sorts of voices in these documents. Um, uh, of course, uh, we were at very attentive to questions of gender. Uh, we were very attentive to questions of class. These are the you know, immediate questions that come to a historian when they're trying to deal with something like this. But there were other questions that uh, have to do specifically with uh, anti-colonial context that we, were, we also had to be attentive uh, to. Um, in particular, the fact that uh, anti-colonial struggles tend to be struggles that bring uh, about huge sectors of any particular people. There's so many people involved in it. And they, in the case of the Palestinian revolution, um, there was a great deal of ideological and political pluralism in the struggle. There were all sorts of uh, movements and parties and and you can tell a party story very easily if you're not very careful you can end up telling the story of the pflp for example or the story of the communist party or the story of fatah or the story of the dflp um, but we didn't want to tell a party narrative here what we wanted to show was actually that there were many party narratives, but they all fed into the bigger picture, which is that of the uh, revolution as a whole. So we had to be careful about that dimension. 
we have to be careful about the regional dimension. You know, in the week, the Nakba generation, for example, you can't tell the story of the Nakba generation through just selecting a random sample uh, of people who lived through the Nakba through their writings. Uh, you had to think of uh, what the Nakba meant in the Jalil, in the Galilee, what the Nakba meant uh, in Gaza, what the Nakba meant uh, in different parts of Palestine. And what you see then is that the political trajectories that were connected to those areas also, uh, uh, you know, uh, were connected to this uh, uh, local experience, but there were common themes that tied them all together. So, um, uh, you know, uh, if you look, um, and also these narratives, we tried very hard to not just tell the story of leaderships. The top tier leaders were always included in the bit that Laura selected here, for example. We have, uh, you know, top tier leaders like Abu Yad and George Habash reflecting on their experience in the Nakba. But then you go and you find middle caters and you find lower caters from different parts. You know, we used Abu Iyad to talk a little bit about what was going on in Yafa. Abbas to talk about what was going on in Lid. But then in the village of Hamama, we used an account that's very local from the kind of village histories that appeared uh, uh, later on and that talk about people that nobody has ever heard of. Same with the village of uh, Salem, same with uh, Tarshih. So that gives you a sense of the richness of the story and the different angles uh, that were in it. Um, I'm not going to talk, by the way, for too long because I know we have so much to cover and we can do all of that in the question and answers. So um, one thing uh, that, Laura, you might want to uh, help me with is to go back um, to, the, uh, to the front page. Uh, and, you know, beyond the curriculum, which I hope I gave you a sense of it, we have the uh, learn their evolution. Um, the Teach the Revolution is meant to be a teaching aid for professors, for students, and even for autodidacts, the one, ones who want to teach themselves about this history. And it's very structured. Here we had learned the revolution, which we thought of more uh, as a gallery to engage with uh, different themes. Imagine yourself going to many gallery or uh, any um, exhibition um, you know, let's say you're going to a gallery focusing on Impressionism. They're not going to show you every Impressionist uh, painting in the world. What they will show you is, you know, paintings that reflect certain moments in Impressionism, certain themes in it, um, you know. Uh, and uh, that way, uh, you get the sense of the richness of the movement. And should you with, wish to take it further, of course, you can go to other galleries, you can do your own research into it, you can uh, do all of that. And we tried here uh, to do just that. That's why we, we, we call it co-curating, uh, Karma and I, because really this had a curatorial dimension, as well as, of course, having a methodological dimension of how to frame certain issues. So the revolutionary, we did it into uh, three different sections or three different 
galleries, if you will, but uh, whatever you want to call it, revolutionary movements. And the revolutionary movements had three themes in it, which is founding, joining, and mobilizing. There, um, the idea is to give you a, a journey through what does it mean to start something like a revolutionary movement? What does it mean to uh, then join that sort of thing? And what does it mean to uh, engage in mobilizing and expanding and bringing people into that? So that's one way of telling the story of the Palestinian revolution through a focus on its movements. Another way of telling the story of the revolution is to look at moments, historical moments. Um, and here um, we were, you know, uh, very much uh, uh, the agenda was shaped by Karma long before I even started studying at the university because she had been doing that work um, on a theoretical level when it came to revolutionary movements. Um, and part of her theoretical intervention uh, was to emphasize that um, uh, revolutions are not just about the milestones, the big moments, you know, the Karame battle, the 67 war, this and that. They're actually about the moments in between. That focus on the moments in between uh, was very much part of what we're trying uh, to do here without, of course, ignoring uh, the milestones. Because um, the craft of revolution gets developed in those moments. Um, and the uh, hard work that goes into uh, building the infrastructure uh, for revolution takes place actually long before the milestones and the big events. Um, something like the first intifada, often people think, oh, it just happened. Um, you know, oh, it's, uh, and of course it had elements of spontaneity, but of course it didn't happen in a society that was not highly politicized or that didn't have movements and political organizations that have been working for decades, uh, didn't have cadres and former prisoners and people who had developed the craft of organizing, that knew how to write a communique, that knew how to uh, organize a demonstration, that knew how to combat prison interrogation. That So that infrastructure, that set of connections, we tried to look at both within Palestine, both in the dual the countries surrounding Palestine, which were at the front lines, you know, the struggle uh, for, uh, for Palestine. And then of course, on the global stage through the sectional revolution in the world, where we were looking really at solidarity in different aspects and manifestations. Finally, we had revolutionary culture um, and uh, really uh, one of the um, uh, things that you notice in much of the literature is an obsession with the military and the diplomatic and all of these aspects. What we're trying to do here was to actually remind people that there's much more to revolution than that and certainly to the Palestinian revolution. This was a huge civic endeavor with so many layers to that. And it was also an enormous cultural production and it was an, a, a space for epistemological contestation uh, and epistemological anti-colonialism. Um, so there's so much that went into that and we tried to give people a sense of that here and learn the revolution.
Now, finally, last but not least, uh, Laura, if you can go back to the uh, front page, and I promise that'll be the last bit that I'm going to talk about. We have cadres. Uh, if you press on the cadres, um, um, we felt it's very important uh, for people to actually um, recall and interact and uh, hear uh, the Palestinian cadres that participated in the struggle from different levels of uh, leadership, from different backgrounds, um, and uh, both party backgrounds, regional backgrounds, gender backgrounds, class backgrounds, you know, uh, to give a sense of uh, how rich this experience was. So in the cadre section, uh, uh, there's all sorts of discussions about methodology of how to conduct the oral history in these settings. And we can talk more about that later. Um, and by the way, we did a lot of workshops to try to figure that out and think it through. And there were great people that were involved in that. Um, but if you go uh, further down, Laura, uh, you will see that uh, on the website itself, uh, we provided samples of some of the interviews that we that we did. Uh, these are just some sample clips. Uh, but then we also provided a, a link to a YouTube channel, uh, which is uh, Learn Palestine, that has a much larger uh, selection uh, of uh, interviews. And like the uh, written sources that we have, uh, um, like the documents and pamphlets and communiques and so on and so forth uh, that we provided in the other sections. These interviews are meant to be uh, open source. People are meant to access them. We want researchers to use them. Uh, we wanted to try to do something which is uh, to break this model of like, uh, uh, you know, the material is gathered uh, for uh, person, the personal use of the researcher. Um, I mean, some of you might might know, Karma and I, um, you know, we're very much engaged in research around this uh, um, that's directed towards uh, our own personal writings. However, um, we didn't want to, uh, you know, fall into the trap of thinking, uh, okay, we're just going to collect this material and use it for ourselves. Uh, it's actually much more empowering to just share it, put it all out there. And uh, that actually captures the collective uh, spirit of sharing that was there in the moment that we're talking about. You know, it reflects the epistemology um, that was developed by Palestinian structures uh, at the time uh, and the pedagogical practice that was developed by them at the time and the research uh, uh, practice that was developed at the time, which is the research is done there for the service of disseminating knowledge. So any material I collect or you collect or anybody collects can be interpreted in different ways by different researchers. The way Karma and I will look at this material is going to be different than how it's looked at, at by other people. They, there's always different angles, different visions, different ways of seeing. Uh, but the point is, let the material be out there. Let people have access to it. And then uh, we will have uh, a greater amount of richness in how we tell those stories. But if, if I could... Karma might... Uh, 
come in at this stage. Well, I'll just to close because I know there'll be questions about this, but just uh, this point, which uh, is so important, was our work with the caters, who uh, many of them had never spoken about this history. And because of the Palestinian revolution and the experience of a people that were disenfranchised who made their own history, many of it was in people's own memory and not written down. And it belongs, uh, we had many conversations or there was a process of being able to talk about this experience, which is secret, which is privilege, which is also a collective history or a collective experience. And the caters were very involved in the design of that because the purpose was to pass it to the next generation. There was a a, a deep understanding that this doesn't belong to us. Uh, those who had participated in many things and knew a lot of history, but it was in their heads, but that this was something that belonged to the Palestinian people and was done for, etc. So in the design of those long, long interviews of which a fraction are on both the YouTube or the ones that we uh, subtitled some clips of them, the more was there uh, working to that set of principles about uh, this history, which was this, uh, how we made it, all the Palestinian people, but also those who were responsible in certain ways, who needed to transmit that and convey that when we are still without, uh, outside of the homeland and without those national institutions that can play that role. So Abbott's nodding. There are so many more things we can do, but I'm mindful of the time. And we've done 30 minutes. So I kind of think uh, Munir and Mona, Mona, you're going to talk about this wonderful uh, research that's underway, but building. And I think you have documents also to show. And I think there's some questions that Laura is al already gathering for us. Is that yeah. right? Yes, yes. Well, <clears throat> thank you very much, uh, both Karma and Abed, for a wonderful, rich presentation and an and, and amazing, and amazing piece of work. Uh, this is really uh, something to learn from a lot. Uh, I, I visited the website and I, I saw how the, the immense, immense uh, potential in using it. Uh, I, I maybe delay my uh, uh, remarks for uh, after Muna's uh, presentation sure. uh, to stick with the plan uh, but uh, thank you really and and thanks to uh, Laura Bust for her uh, technical support she's not uh, on screen but she's she's doing uh, the, uh, the the great work behind the scene so uh, 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 Muna please uh, it's it's, uh, it's, uh, it's your, your stage now. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Munir, and uh, thank you, Karma and Abid, for presentation. I'm really, uh, it's a flip, uh, privilege and an honor to share, uh, you know, this platform with all of you. I'm really uh, thankful to IPS also for allowing us to speak about these great initiatives. And as Munir said, uh, there's so many uh, interest, so much interest nowadays in archiving projects, but it's really nice to kind of uh, talk to each other um, and I, I have to say also uh, when the, this proposal for this project uh, was uh, in uh, 
in preparation, uh, I, one of the inspiration inspiration for it was uh, was your archive. Uh, definitely, it's it's, uh, it's there in the proposal. So um, it's really great, and I'm really excited uh, to be here. Um, I just uh, have a few uh, a few um, comments to share, and uh, just being mindful of the time. Hopefully, in the discussion, we'll be able to expand more. And as uh, Carmel mentioned, uh, our uh, project is still underway. The, the website is under construction. Um, and it's still going through like a lot of exciting developments uh, with the design of it. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, I, do, I would share maybe just a preliminary um, background um, so that we can see it while I speak. Um, and our project, uh, as Munir mentioned, uh, he's a principal, a co-principal investigator on the project from Buzik, and uh, Michael Mason is uh, is is the, is the co-principal investigator from LSE Middle East Center, um, and we're also working in collaboration with Al Marsad, which is the Arab uh, human rights organization uh, that has been working for decades uh, in the Golan Heights. Um, so. Um, so this project came about uh, because we, uh, as researchers, as academics, uh, keep thinking about uh, and describing uh, the occupied Syrian Golan Heights as a case of a forgotten occupation. Um, that is really, really the case uh, because if we look at the occupied Golan Heights, uh, we hear about it in academic uh, uh, literature and scholarship work uh, as a case of geostrategic importance. Uh, maybe IR, international relations, security studies will actually emphasize, you know, the importance of the Golan Heights on a geostrategic level. But uh, what we have missing is uh, kind of uh, the really focus on the story of how the Golan Heights came to be occupied, what happened to the populations, uh, hundreds of, of thousands of people who were displaced, hundreds of villages and towns that were destroyed, a complete transformation of uh, the Golan Heights uh, as a region um, uh, and its transformation of its landscape. As we know, uh, settler, colonial, um, settler colonialism is, yes, the, the wolf uh, quotation is coming. It's, it's a structure, not an event. Um, and uh, in the settler colonial imaginary, the Golan Heights has always been perceived and described as this front open frontier uh, for Israeli uh, um, Israeli um, um, control, uh, for control of resources, for developing new new uh, new settlements, uh, for uh, really take harnessing all of the natural resources of the of the region, um, and that continues until this day. Uh, what we have, what we propose in this project is to, of course, think of also uh, the points, uh, as Abed also mentioned, these this this important events and important milestones in community struggles, uh, as, as important as they are as events that need to be studied, scrutinized, and looked at critically, we also need to look at them as structures. So what we do in uh, our project, we, uh, we kind of center the Jaulani or the Golan Heights uh, experience. Uh, we center the Jaulani experience around uh, 1967, but most importantly, around 1982, which has been which has been the epitome of uh, of uh, Jaulani struggle against, first of all, uh, the Israeli unilateral annexation uh, law, 
and uh, exercising that uh, by extending its, uh, its control over the territory. Um, and also, of course, uh, the, um, the, uh, the big general strike that happened in 1982 that changed and transformed the Jaulani society completely. Uh, we look at the ramifications and the impact uh, of that transformation uh, on this day on, on the community and how this community still engages with questions of identity, belonging, uh, access to their natural resources, and, and continuous struggles on, uh, on, uh, on political economy level and other, uh, other struggles they face under capitalist uh, regimes. So for us, uh, the project really aimed to uh, historicize and politicize these events, not thinking of them, again, as events uh, per se. Uh, so our attempt is not to collect material or archives from, uh, from different places uh, and, and put them in one place, but rather to, to historicize and politicize these events um, and look at them uh, in, in light of what we know today. So we look at the past knowing um, how to also deal with the future. Um, so um, I think that is really uh, an important point because uh, a lot, again, as, as Abed mentioned, uh, that when we when we think of archives in their kind of state-centric or state-led their state-led endeavor, endeavors um, we don't attempt to replicate that at all we actually look at uh, our project uh, as a project to uh, uh, that goes to, or that uh, employs a, an approach of social history or from uh, you know history from below um, so really allowing for uh, for archiving to be alive uh, a live and uh, uh, dynamic process that involves intergenerational uh, dialogue and conversation rather than you know just focusing on events that happened uh, in let's say the decades in the 1980s in this instant and and forgetting that the, the younger generations have not experienced them the same way as uh, as those generations have experienced them um, so we really uh, focus here on a variety of, uh, of uh, raw materials and, in, and conversations with community uh, initiatives, uh, with, uh, with political activists, uh, with local archives that have been going on for decades in the, in the Jolan. It's really um, a great uh, com collective uh, uh, endeavor that happened where people started collecting their own archives. Because again, in this case, uh, the lack of, uh, of you know, uh, state uh, structure um, uh, motivated uh, Zaulanis to, to do their own work on, on multiple levels, not only in archiving, but in collective action of reclaiming rights to resources and water to uh, uh, protecting lands against confiscation, uh, identity, uh, protecting their identity against uh, uh, decades of Israel Israelification and multiple other uh, um, fields. Um, so this is where our project is trying to build on that uh, you know, experience and reflect on how the everyday uh, aspects of lives have been transformed because of and uh, as part of this process uh, and structural change in society uh, from the 1980s. The 1980s also, this um, uh, intifada or this uprising uh, was also against Israeli uh, attempt to uh, 
to, in, to, to enforce uh, and coerce the Zawlanis to accept Israeli uh, citizenship and Israeli uh, identity, to accept identity cards, which the Zawlanis have, uh, have uh, collectively agreed uh, during that six month strike to refuse to accept this. So they would throw it throw the identity cards uh, in the middle of a square here. And that is one of the images that, of course, stuck until today with younger generation, older generation, whoever really knew uh, kind of uh, the, uh, the impact uh, of, of what that had an impact on people until today. So, um, so for our project, that, that is really important. An uh, important point is, uh, for us, is this intergenerational uh, archiving, and how how can we actually do that? How can we speak of archives not in its historical sense, uh, but also think of it as a live process? Uh, and our project really engaged students from Birzeit University and students from the Golan Heights, uh, and also uh, like uh, renowned also political activists who were part of this uh, uprising and part of these demonstrations. Uh, and we like having a dialogue about these events and and how do we look at them today as you can imagine after decades of settler colonial rule in addition to uh, you know the uh, the Syrian uh, revolution in 2011 and the war that uh, that happened uh, still happening until today uh, these identity questions still are very important questions for the Shaulanis. So reflecting on those events for, especially for the young generation, is met with a lot of, uh, a lot of tension and a lot of kind of speculation. And uh, so it's not always, you know, with uh, this nostalgic uh, way that maybe older generations look at it. Maybe Abed has referred to that a bit. And uh, I think it's really important to, to not think of these events as a romanticized uh, events. Um, I think this is also something we have uh, uh, encountered in our work, where also the Palestinian imaginary of the occupied Golan Heights and uh, the, the mobilizations that, that have happened in the 80s was really important, where also our students uh, also were reflecting and kind of uh, de debating also perceived notions about these revolutions. Um, and I think this is uh, really uh, an important uh, thing to keep in mind where archives really, like, they're still alive, they're still uh, there. Um, another thing that uh, I wanted to really, um, I might stop my screen just to, I'll come back to it just because I have some notes. Um, another thing that, um, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, yes, so these acts of solidarity uh, that we're really interested in, and I think that's uh, how also uh, the Palestinian struggle uh, title of this talk uh, really comes uh, to, to comes, uh, it's, like it's really on point because also um, kind of the, the separation of struggles is, as we know, is something that's not really realistic because struggles are really shaped and co-shaped by other struggles happening, whether in, in close geographical proximity, like the occupied Golan and Palestine, but also wider, uh, wider beyond geography, uh, collaborations, mobilization and solidarity. And I think it's really uh, of, of, of really like importance to, to, to look at these decades that we look at, which is the 1980s specifically, 
uh, as, as you know, the decades of revolutions, uh, of the first intifada. Uh, and actually the Jaulani uh, uh, six month strike uh, preceded the intifada. So it happened in 1982 and it happened around the same time. And what we also uh, uh, come to see and come to realize from our kind of discussions, from reading testimonies and hearing uh, accounts of, uh, of people who were engaged in that part about, about you know, the, the tremendous amount of solidarity that happened there, starting from 1967, of course, with the Israeli occupation, which allowed, uh, at the end, people could meet uh, each other and they exchange, you know, advice, uh, legal advice on how to protect land from confiscation, for instance, or how to make sure that um, uh, to carry out certain, uh, certain uh, let's say, agricultural practices to allow people to maintain rights of ownership to their land, which the Palestinians, especially uh, under military rule uh, inside 1948, had, uh, had to pay a hefty price for. Um, so these kind of uh, acts of solidarity and mobilization come to the surface again by exploring these archives. Uh, during the Intifada as well, um, uh, a lot of Jaulani um, groups, uh, a lot of community members uh, also joined, uh, joined the Intifada uh, act, acts uh, and actions uh, in, in the West Bank. Uh, same with uh, when, when the Zawlani uh, strike happened, uh, there was a lot of solidarity campaigns, a lot of support because again, uh, in the six months also there, there was a siege against these uh, Jaulani communities. So the Palestinian, uh, a lot of Palestinian groups from 1948 from the West Bank and Gaza came to the rescue. Uh, we also looked at, you know, uh, uh, you know, the prison experience. How do actually political prisoners uh, that come from the Golan Heights and from Palestine have also uh, shared, uh, you know, um, uh, experiences inside the prison and that are still very strongly uh, uh, exercised until this day. Uh, we look at commerce uh, and how uh, also Palestinian um, merchants uh, supported, you know, the, the marketing of uh, Jaulani apples uh, in, in the West Bank and Gaza markets. So a lot of things uh, came to be unearthed uh, making us realize also that, uh, you know, struggles are not separate. Uh, they're not separable from each other. They're actually so much uh, synergy, uh, so much uh, um, uh, dynamics that, that happened there that are happening until today. Um, however, like, Today, when we think about, uh, you know, and reflect about these events and this solidarity, uh, what we also engaging with the students really made us realize how, you know, uh, th that that kind of that support or that mobilization has stayed in the realm of that generation, while today's generation still struggles to uh, to to make sense of what's happening in the in the occupied Golan Heights, or actually to learn about it. Um, so it was interesting to to hear from from them about you know that experience of like how can we actually uh, rekindle uh, those uh, solidarity acts under the conditions we live under today, after decades of of settler colonial uh, rule. Uh, so it's, it's also uh, an interesting uh, way to uh, provide uh, a platform for these kind of uh, um, deliberations and discussions and, and debates. Um, this brings me back uh, or brings me to the last point of, uh, you know, our, um, our uh, 
platform, our website that we're developing, and uh, the, the fact that we look at it as a platform for knowledge exchange, uh, for critical decolonial knowledge production. Uh, we look at the community archives as uh, our source where, where we start uh, our, our work. Uh, and we, uh, we, we reflect on it with students' uh, reflections and, uh, and writings through uh, podcasts and interviews with uh, figures and prominent figures in the Golan Heights. Uh, we look at it through, uh, you know, using counter-mapping, so the idea of using the map uh, to actually uh, engage critically and understand critically uh, um, uh, ontological but also epistemological uh, realities um, and really uh, kind of providing a platform for more and more collaborations so it will be an alive uh, and uh, lively uh, place uh, platform it won't just have uh, material there but it will be a place for interaction uh, and dynamics and the most uh, another uh, another deliverable that we're looking at uh, that we are working on uh, developing is the curriculum which is also again uh, uh, not going to be the traditional curriculum um, of readings to understand, you know, uh, what happened in the Golan Heights, but how can we study the Golan Heights in, a, in, a, in an emancipatory matter, manner and uh, in a way that actually challenges uh, status quo um, and creates, you know, uh, and allows for uh, critical voices to come about that don't only necessarily come from Western academia, but also can come from within and from, uh, from the bottoms up. Um, so I'll, I'll stop here uh, and maybe allow for more uh, discussion uh, later on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Muna, very much for, for this uh, wonderful presentation. Uh, we we do have some uh, some uh, important questions i think we'll uh, that were uh, i'm not sure if abed and uh, karma have read those questions or we should uh, uh, ask for uh, laura's help uh, but uh, before that i just uh, more more questions uh, are coming in also i think but uh, i i want to uh, just relate a few ideas I think uh, 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 Abed's presentation, uh, Abed uh, mentioned a few uh, key points. Uh, one is on the notion of revolution, which uh, and, and the way in which it was received uh, by, by Arab regimes. I think this is still a present and a future issue. Uh, so we have to think and uh, and defend the meaning of a revolution. What does it mean, really, in this? And and I think the the counter revolutionary uh, uh, discourse will be greater in the coming years, uh, and especially today in some of these regimes. Um, this is uh, this is one 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 one. I think one one issue, one aspect of this project that is, is, is highly valuable, that it is, it forces us to uh, uh, relate the, 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 I mean, I think many people don't know about the culture of revolutions and the, the global and historical context of these things and the epistemological context of revolutions. 
so the, your, your contribution is, is really great. In my experience, in my, at Birzeit University, uh, we, in, in the heart of the occupation, right, we often find, find ourselves obliged to teach the Western canon rather than the revolutionary traditions. Um, so uh, when I uh, uh, teach my students uh, or speak about uh, Locke, you know, uh, I have to go off the text to, to, to tell about history. Uh, and when uh, I speak about the French Revolution, I also have to go to the Saint-Dominique Revolution. The, uh, uh, but, but it's not in the text, right? It's, uh, so, so I think what you're initiating here uh, is, is profound and very important and has to be, and it, it's so current, I think, for, for, for the uh, Palestinian, uh, uh, the new generation, let's say, the academia. Because in the, the, the dominant project, the dominant project in Palestine is this state building project which is not inclusive and it's not revolutionary. Uh, it tends to have, it's, it's myopic towards the past in many, many, many serious ways. Um, and that reflects itself in the education system and in the academia. So um, I, I, I visit your websites, website and I, I have to struggle how to use it in in the teaching uh, process. I think, uh, you know, it depends on what you teach, of course, but uh, this is, this is one, one, one issue you shouldn't forget. This is, this is a current, this is a, the, the pedagogical uh, impact of this project could be great. It should be embraced by, by many, many, many scholars teaching in Palestine, not also uh, abroad. The fragmentation also is, is, is a very, very serious, current issue, right? Uh, Palestinian students don't know about Jerusalem, the, the experience in, in the colonization of Jerusalem, uh, let alone, you know, the, the, the uh, Bir Saba uh, region or the Galilee or the Golan Heights, which is not Palestine, but it's very, it's a Palestinian experience, Syrian Palestinian experience. It's very, it has, we have, instead of looking at this as an abnormality, as a foreign, as a something, the theoretical conceptions that uh, you provide and we should work on more, uh, should, should, uh, we should teach these histories uh, as, as, uh, as belonging to one genre, and uh, and hence we, we can we can uh, benefit from the the reach the political significance of these of these the current significance. I think the youth. I think many many in, uh, among our youth in this in the university, but also in the Golan Heights. I'm also from the Golan Heights, so I'm speaking about the both uh, places. Um, people are are are, are eager. Uh, for for a meaning in this crazy moment in which we live, uh, tragic, uh, painful moment, uh, and crazy at the same time. Uh, and I think we th there's a great potential for for work on this uh, on this front. Um, so I, I think I mean just praising your project in, 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 in 
and conveying some of the relevance that I, I thought of. Uh, I could go on uh, on uh, also the aesthetic presentation and uh, the way you're thinking about history, uh, the way you're thinking about the Nakba uh, as, uh, as, a, as a multi layered uh, uh, experience that, and, and uh, uh, multi focal experience, I'd say. It's, it's so diverse, and people should learn about its diversity, not, not the singularity of a single event or the monumental aspect of, of a, a certain event. Uh, this, this teaches us about politics, about life, about the future, about struggle. Uh, so, uh, and about solidarity also. We have to be, so, we, we need solidarity with ourselves. Uh, if that sounds uh, a bit uh, awkward, um, maybe we can discuss, discuss it. But so, uh, this brings me to the Golan Heights. I think um, people, the, the, there, is, there is a certain forget about about which is which is generational and it's normal but what's interesting uh, among what we see nowadays that the also youth movements or groups or initiatives the Golan Heights is so small that we can't really talk about movements uh, but as a side a side note for those who don't really uh, know about this to the Golan uh, we're, we're talking about uh, a population of 25,000 uh, 25, Syrians who left, remained in the Golan Heights after the occupation in 1967. But the vast majority of the Jolanis are, were expelled in 1967. Uh, around 130,000 people were expelled. Their, their villages were destroyed, demolished. Uh, so we're talking about the, the remaining minority of a, of, a, of a larger population. We're talking, unfortunately, we're talking only about the remaining population, not not the 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 Jordanian uh, uh, refugees who were expelled to um, uh, regions closer to Syria, to to, to Damascus, uh, and and then who knows what happened with them because the Syrian regime wasn't. Not exactly, uh, you know, a, a regime that uh, allowed these people to express themselves politically and and take on the struggle to to restore their land. So we we don't get into that complexity in our in our story. Uh, but but the 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 issue is how to relate an event that took place in a different era, in a, with a, in a, in a different uh, political atmosphere. Uh, and which seems to be passe, which seems to be completely uh, belongs to the past, belongs to uh, an agrarian past, because they could, what, what the community did in 1982, they had a, a strike for six months. Now today, people can't strike for six days or six, maybe six hours. Um, because of the modernization, quote unquote, of, of, of life, because of the colonization of life. So people nowadays, what is the meaning of that event? You can't really, it's not to repeat it exactly. So what is the meaning? And, and, and I, th I think that is, the, that is the, the investigation of identity and the, the uh, eagerness of certain uh, 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 young people uh, initiating uh, 
commemoration projects, uh, eager to know about these events uh, from a certain analytical perspective, not only the stories that are told by, by parents or, 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 or community members, because these stories get to, uh, they're not, they're related, re, they relate certain, certain feelings and experiences, but, but you have to, I think, provide a larger perspective. And if you connect it to people's, uh, to a notion of, of resilience or a notion of defiance of the state, I think this is, for me, this is a, a core issue. Uh, the subject which we're investigating is a community that refuses to give up to a, a dominating state. Uh, before they defined it as a Zionist entity, they just saw it as an in, in, in intruding governing structure, which is which is not which is uh, which is violent at some at sometimes, which is not violent at other times. We're very weird to understand, but. Then how to, this is the modern state. I think in, in, in many places in the world, the state, we, should, we shouldn't give up the notion of a civil, civil contract, the social contract concept. We should, we should speak about the asocial contract or something of that sort that I think there is arrangements, political arrangements that emerge in, in the confrontation between states governing structures and, 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 and communities and people on the ground. And these arrangements form some unwritten codes of behavior and, and interaction. And people struggle all the time to gain influence and power against these governing structures. They can, they can sometimes, you know, uh, uh, talk to these to the, to officials and, and find middle ways and, and so on. But, and sometimes you would feel that uh, your identity is lost, that these, there's, there's Israelization, for instance, and, 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 and so forth. But the core issue is that it's not, it's not the disappearance of identity. Uh, and at certain moments in that confront constant confrontation with, these, uh, with the governing structure, people would find it very important to retain, go back and, and find roots uh, or find foundation for uh, political capital, right? Negative capital vis-a-vis -vis the state uh, that is governing you, demanding of you certain things all, all the time, uh, intruding onto, onto your land and your environment and your education and your consciousness. And you. So I, I think in, the, in that sense, I, I hope that our project would speak in that direction to the to the new generation, convey history in a way that is meaningful. Uh, and uh, I think I should I should stop I should stop here, and maybe we'll hear from Laura uh, some of the questions, uh, which are I think are related related basically mostly to Abid and uh, Karma's presentation, which is totally fine. I'm sure others will be sending in. I okay, do encourage sure. them. Um, sure. Thank you so much, Munir, for, for, and Mona, for a very insightful um, um, presentation on, on the archive you're creating on the Junan Heights, as well as the Karma and Abed for the Palestinian Revolution. People are really excited. They have a lot of questions. So I'm just going to go into it. 
Um, maybe let's start with uh, Avid. You can maybe comment on the Spanish language um, if you're going to be providing a Spanish language uh, resource from the Palestinian Revolution, and if you can maybe expand a little bit on the notion of the archive as an imperial notion, uh, someone wanted to hear more about it. Sure, yeah. Uh, thank you, Laura, and thank you, uh, uh, Carolina, for your question uh, about the Spanish uh, uh, language resources. Um, we are actually in discussion with uh, various scholars in Latin America, particularly in the Chilean Academy and so on, uh, about different potential avenues in that. So I think, uh, um, you know, stay tuned on that front. Uh, but uh, Carolina, please, if you're teaching the site and you'd like to talk more about it as well, uh, we would love to uh, uh, have a linkage with Argentina for sure. So uh, please email uh, Karma or, or me and we'd be happy to, to connect and to share with you uh, that aspect when it comes to Latin America. And um, would you like to expand on, on the notion I mentioned or? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, I mean, if you look at the, how archives uh, developed historically, uh, there's no question that it's uh, centralizing states, uh, usually imperial states, uh, that uh, utilize them for purposes of uh, taxation, domination, uh, keeping records uh, relating to governance. Uh, so um, there is that notion of the uh, of the archive. Now that does not mean uh, that uh, uh, anti-colonial movements cannot have archives. That's not what I meant by that. But I meant that the notion of the archive, if we think about it conceptually, okay, in the same way that the notion of a museum or the notion of uh, any cultural institution uh, relating to something like an anti-colonial revolution or a movement cannot uh, be a traditional notion cannot be a still notion uh, and uh, uh, cannot be, uh, uh, cannot fulfill uh, purposes that are not uh, uh, made, uh, uh, you know, uh, do not fit the needs of the people. So it's the needs of the people that determine how we view uh, uh, these things. I think Karma can talk more about that because actually um, I was always inspired by, by her vision around that and I learned a lot from it. Um, so maybe Karma, you wanna, you wanna? I think that, uh, I think that covers it. I think there's so many more questions. I mean, I, I agree with what you said, but also uh, what's been really interesting in the construction of this resource, both teaching and research, and thank you Munir, it was very haunting actually, many of your comments uh, about the, the intellectual challenges and how you view this, but uh, you know, so many scholars, Palestinian grade political sociologists like Shamir Halal, Bayan al Hout, you know, different types going through what does oral history give us? What do archives give us and don't give us? What do they exclude? Yeah, so, so I think it's always the balance of those things to be aware of both of those traditions, right? So, uh, I think Munir was talking about a tradition where people can find themselves now that is very rich and very, very strong in the Palestinian case globally. 
but also where, because of the predicament people find themselves in, where uh, history is being erased on purpose, that the tradition that they come from, if they want to find a path, needs to be made accessible to them. And of course, young people have different questions than the, 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 the older members of our very long movement. Yeah. So, I, but I think, uh, Abed, you covered that well. Okay. Um, I'll ask this question to all of you, actually, because I think um, everyone can answer this. Um, it's the idea of access. Um, so archives are really important, but how can we utilize more access on the local and communal level to build interest in archives like the Palestinian Revolution and mapping memories uh, when people might not be aware of it? Muna, maybe you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, definitely. I think this is also um, a question that we've been grappling with at, on the, in the project, uh, really thinking about, uh, you know, providing this platform uh, with uh, rich material, uh, mainly collected, uh, as I said, like through decades of, you know, collective work on the ground by, by the Jolanis themselves. Others, you know, from, uh, you know, these uh, state uh, archives, like the Israeli uh, state archives and others uh, that, of course, as we mentioned, we have to be very critical because as, as like personally, just looking through a lot of archives for my work, uh, for my PhD, and just realizing that, of course, uh, you know, you cannot take it as face value, for instance, on the Golan Heights, everything that you can find is based on, like, geostrategic importance of the Golan Heights. Of course, nothing really, uh, you know, allows you to understand, uh, you know, the everyday actions. And even those were distor dis distorted completely to show that. Uh, so for instance, on water, um, I looked at a lot of, uh, you know, community-led projects uh, in the 1980s that were happening even under the, uh, the curfew and, uh, you know, the, um, the strike, uh, but how, you know, how the, like the Israeli army actually uh, narrated that those events was very different than what, how the people narrated it on the ground. So I think definitely we, that critical lens is really important when, uh, you know, approaching these archives. And yeah, sometimes maybe they're better to be avoided in a lot of cases because there's a lot of deconstruction and, uh, and exposure of you know, settler colonial logic and mindset uh, that needs to happen there. Uh, on util, I'm making sure that it's accessible, uh, coming back to that question. I think that is really a challenge, um, to be honest, because uh, again, as a Palestinian researcher, uh, my knowledge of the Golan Heights actually was very minimal before engaging uh, with projects, uh, research project there, and later on my PhD. But that, that, is, that is a very important uh, point, is how do we actually get, there is interest, there is interest in knowledge, but how do we make it accessible? How do we make sure that uh, it make it also uh, available to wider audiences? And what we're doing with our platform and the database is trying to really um, allow for different medium to be used. So whether it's uh, video, uh, you know, um, lots of uh, visual materials, uh, audio files, uh, making sure also to have uh, a strategy for how to also dissipate this information and disseminate it maybe through, you know, social media uh, and trying to make sure that, uh, you know, that that is not um, a barrier for people to access it. Another thing is we're doing, which uh, also um, 
your project is doing is basically allowing it to be in multiple languages. Uh, uh, basically, first to start with bilingual, but maybe also if there was interest, like we saw um, uh, in Argentina, it would be also nice to start, you know, uh, producing knowledge uh, in multiple languages and make sure to be uh, be aware that a lot of uh, I saw in the chat a lot of Palestinian communities are spread out around the world. So Lani communities as well, they've also spread out now uh, across different regions. So it would be nice, uh, also important to, to keep note of that and make sure that we don't fall into that trap of producing knowledge for that small group of, uh, of the, like uh, usual uh, audiences. Uh, so yeah, um, that's for me. Yeah, uh, Laura, I think uh, one additional point, I mean, I, I really, really enjoy the way that uh, Mona and Munir view their project. Uh, and I would add another thing uh, which uh, fits in with this vision, which is that we need to really work hard in the Palestinian sphere on challenging the possessive individualist model uh, that the Western Academy, but also university structures worldwide impose on people. Uh, those structures uh, are not uh, made for uh, liberation. Okay, They're made for uh, thinking about how to develop a career or how to uh, push a research agenda. It's a very individual mo model, the, uh, the humanities research model in, in general. So um, one thing about uh, uh, colonized and uh, occupied peoples and movements uh, is that they cannot depend on those models. Uh, so this is why also, you know, when we talk of challenging the notion of an archive. When you assert, I have the archive, it's an assertion of centralization. It's an assertion of possession in a way. Um, whereas instead, the archive in its multiple forms, we're all actually, all of these projects are part of building the, the archive, if we want to say it. But it's the multiplicity of projects and the different initiatives uh, and the, uh, in, in the accessibility of these initiatives to the people that will uh, help us overturn this individual model, use collective models that uh, help further our struggles. Um, and it's not easy. It's easier said than done because, for example, when you engage in projects like these, they take a lot of time. Uh, they're usually not recognized in the same way by traditional academic recognition standards, yeah? Uh, like, you know, 10-year promotion, whatever, they usually look at books or articles or um, there are, you know, some attempts at, to, look, uh, to look at digital humanities these days to integrate them, but it's still shaky. And the digital humanities model usually can also be susceptible to these uh, individualist models and uh, competitive models. So what i think uh, is beautiful about this session and what i'm enjoying is that um, i'm seeing how we can broaden knowledge uh, we can uh, provide platforms for sharing uh, uh, platforms for engaging with these important questions in different ways uh, and i really hope that uh, uh, palestine will uh, provide a very nice uh, um, you know starting point for engaging with other anti-colonial uh, struggles actually in the, in this regard. I know that Karma knows this. We get a lot of uh, emails and we get we get a lot of interest actually from uh, other parts of the colonized world now 
on okay how do we do a website of this kind how do we um you know because uh, we've worked for example very closely with the south africans what they've done was was a very hefty set of volumes for example that was the approach but now the real challenge for them is to how to disseminate uh, and uh, projects like this, the use of uh, digital technologies like that, the accessibility uh, can can provide a very good Palestinian model on how to deal with that. That's, that's a really good point. Um, and I think something else that is important to also ask for both projects is um, protecting the information that you have. So have you faced any problems, whether in the Palestinian revolution or mapping memories, um, in, in protecting sensitive information, uh, how do you protect documents before you digitize them? Uh, were there any challenges in, in, in that sort of process? Uh, I just said that's exactly uh, a kind of eight hour session that we just really don't need. Everybody can imagine, you know, the Palestinian predicament is just extraordinary in the capacities it requires of all of us and a great educative dilemma for many of us to have. I just want to add one more thing to what everybody has been talking about, about dissemination, uh, Mona and Abed and Munir and accessibility and the purposes of the, of the collecting itself. You know, we haven't even started our proper dissemination of this work. Uh, through the universities and through through the inside Palestine. I've been really ill over the last few months, so we just delayed a lot of things. But what happened is someone did a, uh, a little bit of it in Arabic. We haven't done the Arabic yet. Uh, it, I think one article, I think a friend of Abid's or a friend of, and actually it just went around in a kind of sub, not uh, forcefully disseminated way. And we received, it's something very interesting that happened because this is a subject that is not talked about between the generations. And every member of the younger generation will know how many times they've asked their uncle, their grandparent, their uh, father, and there's a silence. As soon as they ask about the revolution, there's a silence. It's very, very difficult to talk about or to find a language for this collective experience. Yeah, for the older, and very painful. And that this, we received so many messages from people that this came in in a very intimate way into people's homes. And because it's a, it's our, it's a national history, but it's a huge uh, set of decades there to have been silenced in a way. And it, there was a way that many people talked about, they were having conversations just by playing some of the videos, by talking about it, that it began conversations which really need to be had because our young generation obviously have a lot of work to do. <laughs> and the more informed they are about the people and the generation before, the better. You know, there are lots of options, lots of possibilities, et cetera. But I found that very interesting without a dissemination that was designed in a particular way because there's many levels, a civic way, an academic way, uh, you know, in host institutions way to embed it and to, to give it some, some length of time, some stability. This was actually uh, something very lovely and very important. Thank you for that. Um, does anyone want to add anything to that? 
Um, I would say also it's it's uh, beyond the dissemination part. There's also uh, the question of method and how to deal with the sources and how to gather them, especially when you're doing cadre history. And um, actually, I'm I'm thinking here of somebody who's helped organize this session, but uh, is is kind of a secret soldier in it. Maysoon <laughs> Sukariya's work, like when she's studying how people do the opposite over-research the communities, impose like an imperial agenda on them, gather information for the sake of careers without any due concern for uh, how it's utilized. We as, as uh, scholars engaging in developing an anti-colonial outlook, an anti-colonial epistemology uh, that is very rigorous, but at the same time, very attentive uh, to uh, the needs of our communities uh, should be, uh, uh, aware of uh, the dynamics of research in a certain way. And that, that, that's something that uh, we were trying to work really hard on, especially when it came to the oral history, uh, but also when it came to personal collections and, and uh, things of that sort. Um, it's very important to talk uh, to people in a respectful way, uh, but also uh, to try to open up different uh, conversations uh, that touch upon uh, aspects of memory that are actually suppressed. And this was maybe the hardest uh, element of this because this is not just about people going, of course, as Kamal said, there's a lot of silence around it between generations. But there's, there are also tropes around it to develop. And there are there's a kind of uh, a general story that uh, is told that absorbs a lot of the uh, regime stories, that absorbs a lot of self-flagellation, that absorbs a lot of um, different narratives that come out of cultures of defeat as well, you know, um, that come out of the Oslo moment, that come out of the Tatbiya uh, moment that we're seeing now, that come out of bitterness and pain. And what you're trying to do with something like this, and this is actually one of the most beautiful experiences uh, that both Karma and I have, have had, is when you open a different layer and you start talking to people about uh, how they felt and experienced events at the time, it takes the weight that they feel they have to impose on themselves you know, off their shoulders. They can suddenly, if you say, look, there's a different way of thinking about this. How about you forget about the analysis part, all the, you know, uh, um, stuff that you have to do now that you feel like you have to say, you know, that we made mistakes and we did this and we did that. And forget also about uh, the, uh, both uh, heroic narratives that you sometimes have to uh, have a, a pressure to tell the individualism, but also the uh, the negative and teleological narratives uh, that are connected to the moment, and just tell it as if you're sitting with your grandkids, but actually without feeling to justify or negate anything, and that kind of uh, uh, way of doing research uh, opens up uh, a different relationship uh, between uh, uh, the Palestinian students uh, and their parents and the Palestinian researchers and 
the communities are trying to, to serve. So, and people can tell if your concern is actually doing a community service with this, doing an anti-colonial service with this. Uh, because you would end up developing it with them. That's what Karma actually mentioned earlier, that caterers were involved in developing this. Uh, and that's really important because we've had decades of ignoring caterers. You know, unlike uh, these big established European states, for example, uh, and I remember, you know, when we organized the workshops, Karma might recall, we brought scholars of France who, you know, remembering that you know, there were a few years of Nazi occupation of France, maybe, you know, and the Vichy uh, government and so on. But those few years were so heavily uh, investigated. Every French village had millions of euros spent on it to interview everybody who's ever lived under that. And, and all the veterans are respected and paraded and given uh, recognition for like decades. We have the opposite situation. We have people who fought for it for a long, long period of time, decades, not two or three or four or five years. They spent like 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years of their lives. It stayed with them. They were imprisoned in multiple phases. They've lost family. They've, they've been dispersed across the world. And we all know this. Everybody on this panel has had this touch them in a certain way. Everybody listening probably has had this touch them in a certain way but there's nobody there to celebrate them. There's nobody there to talk about them. And that can have a deep impact on the psychology of our communities, you know. Uh, now, with a project like this, this is not about, this is not a state, this is not about giving celebrations, this is not about building a certain tradition, but it's actually about saying, your story matters, our people want to hear it, our people need to hear it because their history is erased on a regular basis. And the biggest history that is erased is actually the resistance history. So even with the Nakba, when we spoke about the Nakba and this uh, website, uh, we were actually trying to convey to the students the depth of organizing to counter the Nakba on the local level in each one of these regions. Not many people know how many Villages had local committees, local defense committees, how many organized their own supply lines, how many of them raised uh, uh, um, all sorts of uh, uh, initiatives. And this is an incredible story at every level. So to tap into that, to try to restore some of the dignity uh, into that and to engage in this kind of research in this kind of way, uh, is, 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 is beautiful. Uh, and I think uh, we have to keep it going like that. Well, thank you so much, Abed. Uh, we are sort of run out of time, but I do want to ask one more question um, specific to the Julan Heights project, because it is an untold story. And, you know, the Syrian history is part of the Palestinian history. And um, I, I would like to hear your comments, uh, Muna or Munir, uh, specifically about um, the Israeli archives that tell the narrative of that specific story or the story of the Palestinians and the Syrians and the conflict, and how does your project sort of um, um, fight that or, or, or present the, the, the narrative that we know um, as one of the first? It's an untold story. Maybe if you can 
you know talk about that a little bit yeah okay uh when not when would you like or oh, go ahead i have yeah. some yeah, a few things yeah i mean uh, yeah well the israeli archive is hasn't as a strictly speaking as an archive uh, hasn't uh, released a lot of document documents on this issue uh, yet but we have lots of publications and uh, the, the media discourse the political discourse and the media discourse is is is, is, a, is clear it's not is not hidden in archives. I don't know if, I'm sure there are always secret stuff in archives that are very important uh, uh, to discover at a certain point or, you know. Uh, the, 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 I think the key, the key, the key, two key events are, are uh, important here. One is the, the occupation in 1967, which is Israel denies basically the narrative of expulsion. Um, and uh, so, so there's there's no official recognition of this. Uh, uh, when the Israelis deal with this, they deal deal with it as part of their own war trauma, not as part of uh, ethnic cleansing uh, of the Syrians um, uh, and taking responsibility and so forth. So, so there's a there's a narrative confrontation right away here in 1982. Uh, the you know the Israelis uh, profile us as a crazy community that refused the re reason, refused to acknowledge the fact that they live, that we live in a better modernized state, uh, in comparison to uh, the backward Syria. Uh, so and this this story is current. It's told to us every day, every day, uh, 40 years, 50 years now, after more than 50 years of occupation. Uh, so for me, uh, the how you relate to this, I think uh, Muna mentioned a very, very, very important term, which is anti-colonial struggles or defiance of the state or revolutions. Call them any, 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 any term. Um, they are structures. Uh, they're not processes, they're not simply transition periods into a state or a certain solution. Uh, if we under, I think if we, if we uh, hold into this understanding, we can see, sense the uh, relevance of knowing the history and the details. Well, it's not simply the repetition of, of what happened, it's, it's basically extracting the meaning, the political meaning of what happened. And I think our community, like many, like the Palestinian communities and many, many other communities in the world, need this power to confront demands, crazy demands by governing structures, uh, whether it's the capital, whether it's the, 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 uh, uh, the companies that seek to exploit your land and your air and your, your environment, or you know, uh, uh, ideological regimes that demand certain things of you that are not you. Are not, basically, they want to force you into to play roles that you do defy. You don't want. At the same time, you like anyone in the world. You want a better life. Uh, so I think the dynamics of this are very very important to understand because the state colonizes people, but people also defy the conceptual schemes of the state and they look 
as things, as, as certain opportunities, as uh, they de destructure the state, deconstruct the state in their daily practice. So there's, there's no, I think, there's no way of healing this fracture. We should em embrace that this is, extra, this is an ongoing condition. And it's not on the, on the periphery of the world, it's in the, at the heart of the world, because the, the vast majority of the world, of the people in the world, are governed, uh, not exactly according to their wills. So uh, this is uh, a political uh, message that is relevant to many people around. It's not simply to a community that is isolated, that its homeland has been destroyed, uh, its people have been expelled. I mean, think about the Syrian Nakba today is, 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 is uh, heartbreaking. It's much, much bigger than we could ever imagine. So uh, the, the meaning of, 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 of national identity is not simply to have a structure for state. It's, it's a spirit of seeking, uh, fighting for your freedom uh, in whichever form you can, you can achieve it. So in, in that sense, I think archiving, you know, archives and authority are connected as, as Abid said, but if you think about uh, people's uh, practices as a structure, as, 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 a, as a productive of certain political will and, and, and action and facts on the ground, then it is, it's basically a, uh, an authority. So popular authority produces its, its, its archive, its memory. Uh, and, and when we, 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 we should utilize critical methodologies to collect, to, to understand this memory, this this memory and if i get something uh, when abd was talking i was thinking about uh, this borrowing of historical critical methodology and as experts uh, in this uh, as, as as trained people in this uh, in this methodology we, we can basically play a role of of uh, um, disseminating the methodology to people to question their parents or their peers or uh, more than conveying knowledge because these stories are it's a wild wide set of stories all the all the all the all the time everywhere everyone has a story so it's it's it, I think it's very useful we can we can uh, work maybe our, our our usefulness is in in training people outside of the university disciplines and uh, not for grades, but for understanding uh, the past. Uh, so in that sense, I hope, you know, we can contribute in, in, in that direction. Uh, so, yeah, thanks. I, I should stop here, but uh, I don't know if we get over. Thank over you so time. much. Maju, actually, people are still with us, so I'm <laughs> on Facebook and Zoom, so it's, okay. it is very interesting. Um, Muna, I want you to, if you can... Yeah, I just uh, wanted just to add uh, to what Muna is saying, and uh, just really, I think, uh, just getting engaged uh, in such projects, I think uh, what is really humbling and really exciting at the same time is, uh, you know, the potential, you know, of just 
providing a platform where things can start to be exposed, where people start to engage in conversation and debates about, you know, these like critical questions of identity, belonging, uh, and kind of the past and events of the past and how they affect their uh, current condition. And I think uh, that's definitely something we have uh, seen in our project, kind of that the, the need for, uh, for the young generation to actually reclaim those memories uh, and reclaim those events and shape them and, and use them to shape their future. And uh, I think uh, the Golden Heist is a case in point of, you know, that really active engagement uh, where the young generation now is bringing, you know, these tactics and uh, strategies off you know, the, of the 1980s uh, um, acts of resistance and reappropriating them, changing them, adapting them uh, to, to, see, to, you know, fit their own ideas and strategies. And there is this young, uh, this youth mobilization that uh, addresses issues of uh, forced elections um, uh, to uh, the um, energy, uh, green energy and the wind turbines uh, projects that come to take over, uh, you know, people's livelihood and lands. And, and they're using, they're like kind of looking at tactics, always looking back at what happened in the 1980s, learning from it, changing, adapting, and moving on. Uh, and I, uh, I think we've had a lot of uh, interesting, uh, you know, discussions with, uh, with the Jaulani youth uh, we, we work with, and uh, it's really uh, so exciting to see potentials where we can start, you know, archiving and documenting those interactions uh, and those dynamics that are really is very, very much needed. And kind of that in a way uh, decolonizes our knowledge production in a way that it doesn't have to be a certain box that you have to uh, fit in in order to produce knowledge. It can be something that comes really from the needs of the people, from their aspirations and their, the meanings they give to events, to places, to, in, to dynamics. And this is where where we can grow um, and use, you know, uh, contemporary tools and methods to do that. Um, and just one point uh, and, uh, on, on curriculum as well is uh, what we're trying to do is make this curriculum open um, and also kind of very intersectional in a way where we learn about other struggles, especially around, uh, you know, control and access to natural resources and indigenous communities struggle to, to belong and remain on the land. And so also to open our horizons to understand that these, a lot of a lot of mobilization and synergies can happen there, and I want to commend on uh, Dr. Amar Tesdel, who is also a partner with us on the project, who is developing this curriculum. And we're really excited about it because when we thought about how, what could be, you know, what, 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 what we could do in providing that platforms and just opening it up, going back to the communities and, you know, just, you know, allowing, you know, the, just giving the infrastructure and allowing that infrastructure to be used as, as, as they see fit. Um, um, and this is what we're, we're hoping to achieve uh, with the archive. So it's, I think it's far away from kind of this ar archiving uh, concept uh, that uh, kind of is the traditional one, but we're thinking kind of to, de like, I don't want to use too much the decolonizing. <laughs> Uh, archives, but it is in a way kind of liberating, uh, liberating us from the shackles of, uh, of yeah, that archive and that control, but opening up for, uh, for multiple viewpoints, multiple meanings and uh, worldviews. Thank you so much, Mona, for that. And thank you all actually for, for a very, very interesting um, 
webinar, a lot of people have been sending in emails and tweets and, 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 and a lot of questions and we'll try to sort of bring in all possible collaborations with you. I really appreciate your time um, and IPS appreciates your time. Uh, this webinar is recorded and will be available on YouTube. If you have further questions, I put in my email in the chat so you can just do that. Um, and we're done. So <laughs> thank you so thank much you. for your time. Thank you, Laura. Thank Laura. you, Laura, thank you for so much for making it happen. And to, to all the speakers also. In yes, my capacity yeah. As an IPS person. So thank you very much. I'll see you thank soon. You. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Bye.